0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 11th, 2019. This week marks two significant anniversaries in the history of important federal community development incentives. Starting with June 14th of last year, the Treasury Department designated the final round of Qualified Opportunity Zones for the final four states to make those nominations. Those states were Florida, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Utah. A few weeks later, on July 9th, Treasury made it official with a notice that listed the 8,000-plus Federal Opportunity Zones. In today's podcast, I'll have some news about states conforming to the Federal Tax Code concerning Opportunity Zones incentives. Now, the other big event came 17 years ago, on June 10th, 2002. That's when the CDFI Fund released a Notice of Allocation Authority and the application materials for the inaugural first round of the New Markets Tax Credit. Those allocations were announced nine months later, in March 2003. Now in today's podcast, we'll talk about the timing of the application allocations for the next round of the New Markets Tax Credit. In this week's podcast, I'll provide an update on the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Improvement Act, as well as information about a proposed change as to how HUD calculates fair market rents. I'm also gonna share updates on some federal budget items, as well as state-level news from Nevada, Louisiana, Minnesota, and Alabama. If you're ready, let's get started. I'd like to thank everyone who attended our Novogradic 2019 New Markets Tax Credit Spring Conference held in Washington, D.C. last week. We had a terrific turnout with many familiar faces, as well as many newcomers. And we were honored to have the sponsor and the leading co-sponsor of the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act as keynote speakers, namely Senator, who's the sponsor of the Act, Roy Blunt of Missouri, and leading co-sponsor, Senator Rob Portman of Ohio. Both senators discussed how New Markets Tax Credit Investments have transformed communities in their own home states. He spoke about how the New Markets Tax Credit is a great opportunity for bipartisan cooperation in Washington. And we very much appreciate Senator Blunt and Portman's leadership on New Markets Tax Credit permanence, as well as taking the time to speak to our conference attendees. Now, our Inside the Beltway panel expanded on the topic of tax extenders. Specifically, panelists discussed the challenges and opportunities for New Markets Tax Credit Extender legislation in this Congress. One of the challenges is the urgency of extending the New Markets Tax Credit sooner rather than later. Now, this incentive expires after the upcoming 2019 allocation round. Since the New Markets Tax Credit is an allocated credit, extending the program retroactively is not an effective option. Now, we're heading into a presidential year, and it's generally even more difficult to pass legislation during such a time, which creates a sense of urgency in passing an extension now. Now, panelists also discussed reason for optimism that the New Markets Tax Credit could be extended. Also, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, Senate Finance Committee leaders recently formed task forces dedicated to exploring tax extenders policy. The two senators who will co-lead the task force that's exploring the New Markets Tax Credit also are two co-sponsors of the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act. Namely, our keynote speaker, Senator Rob Portman, and Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington. Now in fact, all but two members of the task force are co-sponsors of the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act. That strong support for the New Markets Tax Credit in the Senate Finance Committee Task Force is a good sign for the incentive. Also, panelists pointed out that the Senate Finance Committee formed similar task forces the last time the New Markets Tax Credit was extended back in 2015. Now the panelists at our conference are hopeful that history will repeat itself, and the New Markets Tax Credit will get a long-term or permanent extension. Now, in addition to New Markets Tax Credit legislation, our conference also provided insights on administration of the New Markets Tax Credit. We had the good fortune of having a QA and a panel with three CDFI Fund leaders. Now, the panel was moderated by Bob Ibanez of Novogratz's Public Policy Group. Bob, as you may know, was the former New Markets Tax Credit Program Manager for the CDFI Fund. One of the questions that Bob posed to the acting New Markets Task Credit Program Manager, Christopher Allison, was about the timing of the 2019 allocation round. Christopher said that the CDFI fund is busy doing site visits right now and expects to announce applications for the 2019 round this summer. Christopher stressed that the announcement wouldn't be in the next couple of weeks. He said it would be in mid-summer or late-summer. Christopher was also clear that the applications would be released before fall although he said there are things in the CDFI Fund or things that the CDFI Fund can't control. Now Bob did ask about the timing of the 2019 awards, and Christopher said he expects that announcement to be made next spring. That would be spring of 2020. So that's the latest target timeframe for the 2019 round, a mid to late summer opening and a spring 2020 awards announcement. We also had an insightful mid-year investor review session during that session, the investor members observed that the price per credit for the New Markets Tax Credit typically ranged from mid to high $0.80 cents before tax reform. Since tax reform, the typical range has dropped to the low to mid $0.80 cents range. My partner, Brad Elfeck suggests that that's likely a result of the overall appetite for tax credits going down, possibly due to different parts or other parts of tax reform. Now, with the delayed announcement of the 2018 New Markets Tax Credit Awards, investors do expect a big rush of activity to close out this year. Now, I want to say thank you to all of our distinguished speakers for sharing their insights and experience. And also thanks to our co-hosts, sponsors, and attendees for helping make the event possible and the success that it was. Now, as we discussed last week on this podcast, the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act was introduced in both the House and the Senate. We now know that the Senate version bill number is S-1703-1703, and the House version is H-R-3077. Lots of threes, zeros, and sevens. Once again, Senate Bill 1703, House version 3077. A link to the legislative text is included in today's show notes. We've also linked to a one-page summary, a detailed bill summary, and differences between the bills in the previous congressional session in this one. These summary documents are all produced by the Affordable Rental Action Group. Now, since introduction, a few co-sponsors have signed on to the House version of the legislation. There are now 10 co-sponsors for the House bill, up from the four original co-sponsors, including lead sponsor Representative Delbanais. Now, one of the co-sponsors is Mark Meadows, who's chairman of the conservative House Freedom Caucus. Meadows also co-sponsored the House bill during the last Congress. I've also included links to several blog posts that we mentioned last week. One explains how many affordable rental homes would be created by a phased-in 50% increase in low-income tax credit allocations, which is included in the bill. Another shares how many new rental homes would be financed by the minimum 4% floor for low-income tax credits that are financed by taxes and bonds and acquisition costs. The third explains the provisions of the bill and gives additional perspective on the legislation. I'll also send out tweets to these blog posts as well as the text of the bill. We will, of course, keep you updated as this bill goes forward in Congress. In other affordable housing news, HUD last week published a notice seeking comments on proposed changes to how it calculates fair market rents. Now, fair market rents, or FMRs, are used for HUD finance rental housing, including housing choice vouchers. The HUD fair market rents aim to set rent levels that would allow someone using HUD assistance to rent an apartment in 40% of an area's housing stock. Now, FMRs are also used to determine difficult development areas or DDAs. These changes are proposed because HUD has received comments about the need for data that is more local and more timely. HUD currently uses the five-year American Community Survey or ACS estimates of two-bedroom adjusted standard quality gross rents data for purposes of calculating fair market rents. Now, that information is from three years before the year for which it sets fair market rents. HUD then adjusts the standard quality gross rents data using recent mover data from the ACS. Seems a bit complicated. Finally, HUD updates this historical ACS data using components of the consumer price index and other data in a tool it calls the gross rent index. Now the proposal would change how HUD trends the historical data forward. HUD would use one of three proposed models to update that gross run index. Which model HUD would use would depend on where the market is and whether each model works well for that region. Now the different models focus on different parts of the gross run index. HUD's proposal would give the agency the opportunity to use different models for different locations based on what has historically been the most accurate for that area. Now, the different models are more complicated than we can explain on a podcast, so you can see the HUD notice in today's show notes for more details. The HUD notice also calls for a change to how small area fair market rents are calculated. Those specific circumstances are where zip code level estimates are unavailable. HUD currently bases the firm market rents for those situations on the estimate of the gross rent for the county. HUD proposes to instead use a weighted average from the nearest zip code areas with reliable data. Now, HUD is accepting comments on these proposals through July 5th. I encourage you to take a close look at the options and make your voice heard. A link to the notice and how you can submit comments is included in today's show notes. Now, turning to other news, the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Financial Services and General Government last week approved its fiscal year 2020 bill. Now, the bill proposes spending $300 million for the CDFI Fund. That's a $50 million increase over the level enacted this year. Of this amount, $191 million would be for financial and technical assistance funding awards and $29 million for administrative expenses. The subcommittee rejected the President's request to eliminate all CDFI Fund grant funding. Now, the full committee is expected to consider the bill today, and we'll keep following this. And in another spending bill markup last week, the House Appropriations Committee approved the 2020 Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development, and Related Agencies Bill. The full committee markup didn't include significant changes to the funding from the subcommittee approved bill. The proposal remains at just more than $50 billion for HUD. We have full details of the bill on the Notes and November blog. That bill next goes to the full House of Representatives. Now, in state news, a Nevada bill to create a state long income housing tax credit now only needs the signature, of Governor Steve Sisolak, to become law. The bill would create a credit with an annual statewide cap of $10 million with a sunset date of January 1, 2030. I'll keep you posted on the bill's progress in future podcasts. Another Nevada bill that would double the amount of Qualified Equity Investment, or QEI, that could be issued under the State New Markets Jobs Act is also on the governor's desk. This legislation would add $2 million to the previous $2 million QEI that could be issued under the act and would also increase the amount that could be issued in a single QEI, from $5 million to $8 million. Meanwhile, legislation went to Louisiana Governor John Bel Edwards' desk last week to add Opportunity Zones to the list of areas that are eligible for a program that provides an abatement from property taxes. If the governor signs the bill, structures in Opportunity Zones that are developed, restored, improved, or expanded will be eligible for a 10-year break from property taxes. And finally, legislation in both Minnesota and Alabama was signed into law last week largely conforming their state laws to the Internal Revenue Code. This includes conforming to the federal Opportunity Zone Statute. The Alabama bill also allows the state to reach agreements with Qualified Opportunity Funds to provide tax credits to investors. Those tax credits would be for investments in projects that don't produce expected returns by the fifth year. Now, there's an annual cap and a requirement that any extraordinary returns of those investments are allocated back to the state. I'll provide a link in today's show notes to two maps on Novogratix's website that show which states conform to the OZ provisions of Internal Revenue Code. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I'd like to let you know about a webinar that we're going to offer this week. It's the Novogradic LIHTC 101 webinar. This webinar covers the basics of the low-income housing tax credit. It's a great resource for newcomers to affordable housing, but it's also worthwhile as a refresher course for affordable housing veterans. You can find a registration link in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogradic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradick and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast.